All right. Uh, we can continue our worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Uh, three ways we can do that here. I think you're all familiar with that, but we have, uh, you can give online at bloomingtonvineyard.com. Just look for the give icon and follow the prompts there. Or you can mail a check to uh, P.O. Box 3277 in Bloomington here, Indiana. Make sure you put Indiana. I've found out there are so many different Bloomingtons. Uh, and um, Or you can just drop it in one of the black boxes by each of the exit doors on your way out. So it's an important part of our worship is the giving of our tithes and offerings. Okay. Well, welcome to the vineyard. Glad you could be here. Um, let's take a minute and just pray. Holy Spirit, come. Rest on us. We open our hearts. We open our ears. We open our very beings to you. We ask that you would speak to us, encourage us, challenge us. Do whatever you want to do in us today. Because it's what you want to do that counts, not what I want to do. So Lord, come and meet with us right now. Amen. And the last, for the last four weeks, I think it is, we have been in a series we're calling that I've called Ready or Not, because it's all about the hope that we have as believers. And by hope, I mean absolute confidence, confident expectation uh, that one day Christ is going to return to earth. And we want to be ready for that day. We want to be ready on that day when he comes back. But he's coming back at a time appointed by the Father, whether we are ready or not. So our not being ready will not delay his coming. Okay, he's not going to say, well, I can't go yet because Dave's not ready. You know, it's like, Dave, you should have got ready. You should have gotten ready because I'm coming now. You know, so I want to make sure that I'm ready because um, he's coming back one way or the other. <coughs> but... I'm one that always likes to be ready. I don't like to be late for anything. I like to be ready. Um, <laughs> when I asked Lisa out on our first, our first official date, we went to midnight mass first, but then we went on a date a few days later. It's our first official date. Went to see the Towering Inferno. Anybody remember that? Okay, anybody remember that from when it was in the theater? <laughs> okay. Um, we went to see, that was our first you know, official date, Towering Inferno, and I was supposed to pick her up at 7 o'clock. How many think I was late? How many think I was early? Okay, you win. Because I showed up at her house, I was supposed to be there at 7, I showed up at her house 20 minutes till 7, and they were still eating dinner. Needless to say, I did not win any points with her dad on that day. Um, never did win any points with him, really. But, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it was a bit awkward. I didn't impress him at all. I was 20 minutes, and they were still sitting at the dinner table eating dinner. Um, 
but I believe in being on time and ready. I don't like being caught not ready. I don't like being caught not on time. I would rather be 20, 30 minutes early than five minutes late to anything. Um, you know, when we moved from the summer that we moved uh, from uh, Yorktown Heights, New York to Indianapolis, uh, I was, you know, I was in high school and uh, we moved down here, and then later that summer, uh, my sister and I took a train to uh, uh, train to, to, to New York to you know visit all our friends that we had just left you know a few weeks earlier, maybe a month earlier or whatever. So we get up there, spend a couple of weeks up there, you know, before, before school starts, and then we were going to catch a train to come back. Uh, well. <laughs> My uncle was, because we had a lot of relatives in, in there, so my uncle was going to take us, to, he did take us to the train station. And I kept looking at my watch and, you know, thinking about what time's the train leave. Oh, we'll get there, we'll get there, don't worry. Well, we did get there, but it was literally like one of those things, times you see in a movie where the train is pulling away. The train is literally moving as we are running up to jump on the train. Drove me nuts. I don't like being late. And we finally, you know, the train, you know, came back to Indy. Dad picked me up or picked us up at the air, or the at the train station. And uh, I was telling Dad, I'm like, oh, man, he just, we barely got there. We had to jump on a moving train to, you know, to catch it. He goes, oh, yeah, Uncle Bob's always like that. <laughs> you know, his brother. It's like, yeah, okay, that does not mesh well with me. I like to be ready. I like to be on time or early. So when Jesus comes back, I don't want to be one that's trying to run up and jump on the, on the train, so to speak, or jump on the bus, so to speak, and say, oh, man, I just made it. I want to be well prepared. I want to be ready before that time. Now, we've talked about how we can recognize that the day of his return is getting closer. What are some signs? We don't really have anything we can point to to say, okay, when, when you know, this is all said and done, he's coming any moment then. Um, we have some signs that tell us it's starting to get closer. He even told us in some of them, you know, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in various places and things like that. He goes, it's still not the end yet, but it's getting closer. It, these are the beginning of birth pain. So we looked at a number of those things. And, you know, we've, we, some of us have been taught various things, but... You know, how do we know what's true and what's not true with what we've been taught, okay? How do we know when someone says, well, look for this? Or do, we know that. We, we, we talked about the fact that we know by looking into the Scripture, by getting that solid foundation of what does the Word say, because that is our authority. So we're, we, we looked at that and, you know, talked about building that foundation so that we know how to be ready and, 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 and so forth and what to look for. Um, and then we looked at the question, you know, what does the Bible say about uh, persecution and tribulation? And we talked, I think, two weeks ago, I think it was, specifically we talked about the, the topic of persecution of the church. And we said at that time that 340 million Christians live in uh, areas of high persecution, live in countries where there is high levels of persecution. Well, apparently I wasn't exactly right. 
because Open Doors Ministry this week published their 2022 watch list of most persecuted countries, and you know, which reflects the most recent data, and the number's been updated. It now says 360 million Christians. That's up by 20 million from, a, from, from what the watch list said a year ago. 360 million Christians live in countries or areas of high persecution. And for the first time in 20 years, North Korea is not number one on the list. It's number two. First time in 20 years because it's so bad there. Anybody want to know what number one is? Anybody, does anybody know what number one is? It's Afghanistan. Afghanistan has moved to the number one uh, uh, place on that list. Um, so, you know, as the most dangerous places for Christians to live. Now, so we talked about that. Then last week we looked at what the Bible says about believers going through a time of tribulation that precedes Christ's return. And we, did, we looked at the issue of, is, are, are, is the church going to be taken away before, you know, at the, at the beginning of this time of tribulation, this uh, seven seven years of tribulation and we and we talked about the fact that well you know some believe that's a literal seven years uh, others believe that's a figurative for a level of time I believe it's literal I could be wrong on that you know there are scholars both ways you know on that but I believe it's a literal anyway the point is this not whether it's a little literal seven years or not but will Christians have to go through that time of tribulation or will we be taken out ahead of it and we saw that the, according to Scripture and according to what the apostles taught and the early church taught, we will be here to go through that time. We will not be taken out until at the end of that period. That, in fact, that, that you know, pre-tribulation rapture uh, uh, theory, doctrine, whatever, that wasn't even a thing until about 1830 when John Nelson Darby uh, started teaching it uh, in dispensational churches and, and, you know, it started spreading from there. And now it's widely held throughout the Western world in particular because we don't like to go through stuff. We like to be taken away. We like to escape. But if you take a, a look at Scripture without preconceived teaching, it tells us that we will go through it. And we talked about you know, in the days of Noah, it'll be like the days of Noah. And, you know, everybody will be living their lives. Everybody will just be going through their normal daily routine. And then it says that, you know, one person will be, you know, uh, uh, working in the field and, and, you know, two people will be working in the field, one taken, one left. Uh, two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken, one left. But if you read the context the ones that are taken are the ones that are taken away in judgment. The ones that were taken in Noah's day were the ones that were not in the ark, that the floodwaters came and took them away. And after the flood, who was left behind? Who was left? The righteous, Noah and his family. And it's going to be the same way. So, it's, it's, it's a different reading of Scripture than what many have been taught, 
But if you look at that, if you look at Scripture without previously being, you know, in your mind teachings you've had, and you just look at what the Scripture says, you cannot find anywhere in there that specifically states that, that we will escape the tribulation. Now, there's wonderful, fully devoted followers of Jesus on both sides of that issue. That is not something that should ever even begin to divide the church. But the reason I brought it up and the reason I taught it is because if we're going to have to go through this time of tribulation, we need to be prepared spiritually. Because if we're not strengthened in our spirit, if we're not you know, um, I'm ready to go through those times, and tough times are going to hit, and it'll knock a whole lot of people out. And I don't want to see that happen. So um, I, that's what we've talked about so far. Up to this point, we've talked about some fairly heavy things, you know, um, tribulation, persecution, all, all of this stuff, because we've needed to look ahead uh, so that we can properly prepare for it. Already or not, he's coming back, and I want to be ready. Now, having said all of that, today we're going to look at something much lighter. How many are glad for that? I mean, or do you just thrive on, on hearing about tribulation that's coming or persecution and, you know, no. You want me talking something lighter? Okay, I'm going to, <laughs> um, whether you're ready for it or not, no, um, <laughs> I've titled this message, When All is Said and Done, because we're going to consider what it will be like after Christ's return, after he returns to the earth as a victorious ruling king, after Christ returns and Satan has been judged, and all people have stood before God's throne, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life has been thrown into the lake of fire. And, you know, after all of that, what will it be like for those whose names have been found in the book of life? What will it be like for those believers that have their names written in the Lamb's book of life? Those who have trusted in Christ and those that belong to him, us, what, what will that be like? Well, when all is said and done, this is what we have to look forward to. One, we will live on a new earth. Let's read it. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. <laughs> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Coming down, uh, are beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So everything is made new. Creation will no longer be broken. Think about it. The earth is where 
God put mankind in the first place. He created the earth and he created mankind from the dust of the earth and put us here to live. That's where the Garden of Eden was. The earth is the place where God originally intended that mankind should live. And that's where we'll be. Say, well, where does heaven fit in? Heaven is where there will be, uh, where we will be between the time we die and our resurrection. We will be in heaven with the Lord. But this new earth is where we're going to spend eternity with God. But it's going to be an earth like it was originally intended to be, like it was originally created, a perfect environment that is untainted by sin of any kind, not the least bit of stain of sin, because that's what broke the earth. Second thing we can look forward to is experiencing a new quality of life. We're going to have a new quality of life unlike, life, any, unlike any life that we've ever known. Picking up in verses 4 and 5, it says, And he will wipe away, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, meaning sadness. De- no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I don't know about you, but I started thinking about a life like that. What is that going to be like? I mean, just think of it. A life where you have no more tears, no more death. Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So no more tears or death. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more crying. Isaiah 65, 19 says, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Isaiah 35.10 And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Talking about those who are rescued. Who's the rescued now? Who are those who are rescued? It's you and me if you belong to him. It's us. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us, and I love that word, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of the son that he loves. Those who are rescued by the Lord will be filled with, with everlasting joy and gladness. Now, we've had times of joy in our lives. We've had times of gladness in our lives. But this is something that goes deeper than any of that and something that never ends. 
everlasting joy and gladness. No more crying because there will be no longer be any sorrow and there will be no more pain. And all of that is gone because there will also no longer be any more curse on the earth. See, all of those things, the pain, the sorrow, the heartache, the death, all of that came in because of the curse that sin brought on all creation. That's when all, it was never a part of God's plan. It was never a part of, a part of what he wanted for us, never intended. He didn't come and say, well, I'm going to create man and give him a, a, a pretty good life, but they're going to have to go through some tough things and they're going to have to go through some pain and some struggle. But overall, it's going to be pretty good. No, there's none of that. It was never a part of God's plan. Mankind chose that when we chose to disobey God. All those things came in because of the curse that sin brought on creation says there won't even be any more night. Revelation 22.5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. All the old things have passed away. Everything is new. I mean, can you just imagine a life like that? Seriously, can you just imagine a life like that? You were talking about snow earlier. You know, and, and it doesn't mention snow in here, not at this place. But for those of you that don't like snow, there won't be any snow. For those of you that love it, it'll be like Minnesota all year long, you know. Just kidding on that. But there is a truth to it. See, previously we talked about this great tribulation leading up to the return of Christ and how, and how it's really going to be you know, tough going in that. But for those that go through it and those that stay faithful, this is what the Lord has in store for us. And he specifically talks more about it in Revelation 7 where he says, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, when we think about salvation, when we think about redemption, when we think about all of that, typically we think in terms of the salvation of our souls. You know, we think in terms of being saved from our sin and being redeemed from the sin, price of our sin paid and, 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 and all of that. And all of that's true and all of that's wonderful and all of that. I mean, we, there's, we, we must have that. It, we, we must have that. But there is so much more to our salvation than just being saved from our sin. That's a part of the picture. It's an essential part of the picture, but it is only a part of the picture. Because not only are our souls redeemed, but also our bodies are redeemed. And all of creation is redeemed. I mean, those of you that have aches and pains in your body right now, your back, your shoulders, or you know, you're feeling the effects of aging, that is going to all be gone. All of creation is going to be redeemed. So not only will we experience... Uh, life unlike anything we've experienced before, but we also will enjoy a restored creation.
Try to picture this as I read this. <laughs> the Apostle John's talking, you know, he's on the Isle of Patmos where he's been exiled and, and that, and, uh, you know, this is the whole book is, you know, this is a revelation that's given to him. And it's, and by the way, it's, it's revelation. It's one revelation. It's not revelations. It's one revelation. He says, then the angel of the Lord, or then, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. Can you imagine that? As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. When I read that, and I picture that, I think this is what God intended from the beginning. When he created us, when he created mankind, God's intent was, was this from the very beginning. God has always wanted mankind to enjoy a life like this. But something happened. The serpent deceived Eve, and then man ate the fruit of the one tree that he was told not to eat, and in so doing, brought a curse on all the earth. Because we did the one thing God said, Hey, don't do that. You can have, you can enjoy all of my creation. Any tree that's in the garden, enjoy its fruit. And you know it had to be the best fruit you've ever tasted in your life. I remember when I went to, to uh, we went to Costa Rica. Several of us went on a, on, a, on a mission trip there. And I remember we had pineapple unlike any pineapple that you've ever had in your life. We were, we were on a trip uh, somewhere, and uh, the first time we were going to a, uh, 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 a reservation of a, uh, uh, indigenous, some indigenous people there, and this guy brought along, guide brought a, along um, the freshest pineapple you'd ever want. I mean, he, and he took, they took his machete and, you know, sliced it up, handed it out to us, and we were eating that, and the juice, the sweet pineapple juice was just dripping, just dripping, and it was so good. I've never had pineapple like that before. But, you know, I think of that, and I think the fruit of the trees of the garden that God had put for us to enjoy was even better than that. It was better than, than anything we've ever imagined. And it was all available to us except for the fruit of one tree.
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And mankind, what did we do? We ate of that tree. And then we had to be thrown out of this perfect environment, thrown out of the garden so that we didn't eat of the tree of life and stay in our broken, sinful condition forever. But then God said, I'm going to send a redeemer. One is going to come that's going to crush Satan and restore all things. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you just needed some encouragement? I think we all have. If you ever get in the place, the next time you get in a place where you're just feeling like, I just need, I'm discouraged, I just need some encouragement, because we all get there at times. This is what I want you to do. I want you to find a secluded place, one where you could, you know, be uninterrupted, and a, a place where you can quiet your soul. You know, no distractions, turn the phone off, turn the TV off, no radio, no, you know, no, no, just, just no distractions. And get quiet, quiet your soul. Sit there a moment, and you know what it is to quiet your soul where you're not just running 100 miles an hour, you know, inside of you? Yeah. Okay, quiet down, and then open up your Bible and read Revelation chapters 21 and 22. A lot of people don't read it because they're afraid of the book of Revelation because they're some stuff that's really hard to understand, some stuff that's frightening. I mean, it's it can be a tough one to read, you know, parts of it. But just read Revelation chapters 21 and 22 and remind yourself that when all is said and done, that's what lies ahead for you. When it's all done, that is what you have to look forward to. If you love Jesus and belong to him, if you love Jesus and are one of the redeemed, not if you live a perfect life, but if you know that your sins have all been wiped away because of Jesus who was crucified on the cross for you so that you could enjoy what is described in Revelation 21 and 22 and live with God forever. And if you're not walking in relationship with Jesus, then I want you to pay close attention to this last point. And that's this. We are given an open invitation. An open invitation. Revelation twenty two seventeen says this. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the, let the one who is thirsty come. 
Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. We have an open invitation to come to Jesus, every single one of us. That is what God's heart is. God's heart is that we would come to him. And this invitation doesn't just come at the end of the book. It is all throughout the scripture. It is all throughout the Bible. Listen to these verses. And as you listen, get in touch with God's heart for you and for me. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. It's, it's very similar to what we just read in Revelation. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Let me ask you, let me ask you something real quick. What are you spending your life on? What are we spending our lives on? Food, so to speak, that to get, does not give us strength or that does us no good. And he goes on, he says, listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you unfailing love. I, they, I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. Look in the New Testament then, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, so many people have a faulty image of God. We think he's saying, come to me so I can straighten you out. Or come to me so I can beat you down. That's not God. We had an invitation to come to, to, to Jesus and get rest. Come to Jesus and lay down our sin, our, our guilt, our shame, all of our junk in our lives. Just lay it down and let him take it. Here's the thing. If we are far from God... It's not because God is keeping us at arm's length. We don't come to God and find that he's giving us a, you know, stiff arm, straight arm. You know, you watch football and you'll see the guy running with the ball. And, you know, he, he you know, stiff arms, the, you know, the, the tackler that's coming, you know, to push him away. That's not what it's like. God wants us to come to him. He welcomes us. He invites us. He desires for us to come to him. He would like nothing better for us, nothing better than for us to respond to his invitation and come to him. And throughout scripture, he invites us over and over and over and over to come to him. He has done everything to bridge the gap between us. But he won't make the choice for us. If we are far from Jesus, it's because of us, not him. 
Everybody close their eyes for a moment. Listen to what I'm saying. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Lay down your sin and all the stuff that's tripping you up. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. Jesus was already crucified to pay the price for that and so that you no longer had to carry it. He took it on himself. And then he was resurrected to give you life. And yes, we go through struggles in this life. We don't come to him and say, you know, and, and then all of a sudden everything is, is perfect and every because we still live in a fallen world. But we have the promise that one day it is all going to be perfect. If we pursue him, we come to him and pursue him and hold on to him and never let go. He was resurrected to give you life, and that life starts now and only gets better. Through our struggles, through the difficulties we go through, through all, all, all of that, he goes through it with us. And then one day there's another side to it where he comes back, and we have the kind of life that we talked about today. It's not something we can earn. It's not something that we can hold on to on our own effort. We are saved by grace, and that is through faith. You just have to take it by faith that we are saved by grace. It is not by anything we do ourselves. We surrender our lives to him. And I don't mean just saying, oh, yes, I'd like your forgiveness, Jesus, because I want to be with you on this new earth in heaven and then on this new earth like we talked about um, as opposed to the alternative. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, yeah, sure, forgive my sin. We surrender our whole lives to him. Jesus, you call the shots. You rule my life. You say, go this way, I'll go that way. You go say, go that way, I'll go that way. But I'm surrendering to you. From now on, I'm taking your order, my orders from you and not anyone else. Not my own thoughts, wants, or desires. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that before you leave. I just want to ask you, will you do that? Will you do that? If you've never done it, and you want to do that now, this is all I'm going to ask. Just tell them in your heart. Jesus, take it all. I'm yours. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Now fill me, lead me, and guide me. I'm all yours.
And if you do that, I would encourage you. Let someone know. Let someone know. Let's stand. Prepare your hearts to receive the blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Go out and have a great week. We'll see you Sunday.